This is Tamarindo Podcast. I'm Brenda Gonzalez. And I'm Ana Sheila Victorino. This is the Latinx Podcast where we discuss politics, pop culture, and how to balance it all con calma. Welcome to the show. Hello, Tamarindo listeners. On this episode of Tamarindo, we have teamed up with Nielsen to discuss important data on Latinos in the U.S. Anna Shayla will join us on the next episode. According to Nielsen, the Latinx community is, quote, 60 million strong and firmly at the center of the new American identity. As listeners of Tamarindo, you know we often talk about where Latinos fit in to this American landscape. Tamarindo has discussed representation of Latinos in media, or lack thereof. We've covered how Latinos are doing when it comes to college access, or how changes in immigration policy impact our families. And today, we're going to break down what the data says about the Latinx experience in the U.S. We are delighted to team up with Nielsen, a global measurement and data analytics company that provides the most complete and trusted view available of consumers and markets worldwide, to discuss the recent report, La Oportunidad Latinx, Cultural Currency and the Consumer Journey. We are joined by Stacy de Armas, Vice President at Nielsen, to tell us the lowdown on the, this comprehensive report. More about Stacy. She is named Latina Style Magazine's top Latina executive in 2014 and one of Imagen Foundation's most powerful and influential Latinos in entertainment in 2017, 2018, and 2019. Stacy is a media industry veteran, experienced in multicultural media planning, research and analytics, public affairs, and is a consumer behavior insight specialist. Let's take it away with our conversation with Stacy de Armas. Oh, Stacy! I'm so happy that you are here at Tamarindo Studios. It's been a long time coming. It has been. I'm so happy to be here. Thank We're you so for having happy me. To have you. So you've been speaking at conferences all over the country about this report, and I want to know, as you're speaking to different audiences, what has been like the aha moment? Where do you see people nodding their heads or being really surprised? Uh, gosh, there are, there are really so many, but I think, um, well, perhaps the most interesting is when people really understand like the relative youth of our community and what that means, right? I mean, we know that we're a very young community. We're, you know, contributing uh, tremendously to the population growth of the country. But for example, when I talk to people about, okay, the median age, right? And I'll take you back to like seventh grade math for a second, okay. if you want to join Walk me. Carefully. <laughs> carefully back to seventh grade. It was a tough time, but um, so we have, you have mean, median, and mode, right? And so then your mean, you add it up and divided, and that's that's your mean or your average. Uh, median is line them up from one to the other and right in the middle. And median age for um, Hispanics in the U.S. is 28. And by the way, median age for non-Hispanic white is 44. So wow, there's a, what a, a, difference. a significant difference yeah. there. But mode, which is the most fun one that most people don't always remember, mode is means most common. Uh, the most common age, right, there's more within this group than any other among non-Hispanic whites is 58 in the U.S., but the most common age for Latinos in the U.S. today is just 11. Oh, my goodness. So we are, we are young. We, we are, are young. so young. And But that really, that speaks to, so that's kind of like my biggest aha. But then people say, well, like, what do we do with that, you know? And the answer is it's, it really helps people understand sort of the future of America, right? Yeah, the, future the future of our workplace, the future of our classrooms. Like, where is the economic growth and power? Where's the recovery going to come from? And it's really from this population who is the next big thing. 
And that's so that's what's getting the most surprises. People are like, wow. That and I think like the really trying to impress upon people the, the demographic revolution that is upon us. I think, you know, when you think about demographic revolutions, it's sort of a big flowery word and like what does that even really mean? And um, but demographic revolutions only come about once in a lifetime. And the one before ours was um, the baby boom, right? Mm -hmm. And we have we can all have our opinions about the baby boom, but for perspective. Uh, at one point, you know, you had in you had forty percent of the population of the country was within this twenty years, born within this twenty years. I mean, it's a, a tremendous impact on not just American society, um, but like on on global culture. I mean, it was a, a tremendous change in how everything about everything worked, in, economy, infrastructure, everything. And so that was that demographic revolution. And and the next one is really the one that is upon us now, which is the growth and the influence of the U.S. Hispanic community. And we have the benefit of being like at the front end of it, right? We have hindsight, so we know what happened with the last demographic revolution and, and just how much that changed everything about American society. And so we have the benefit of hindsight. And then we have also all the data and research that helps us know sort of what, what we are within and what's occurring. And I think once I lay that out, people are like, I hadn't really thought about it like that, you know. It's fascinating, I, yeah. That's really, really an exciting time and a lot of potential power that we can we can yield with that information. So, um, uh, one of the things that I picked up from the report was that th this is not news to everyone, but we're also very diverse within mm -hmm. the group. And so, what are some of the takeaways about that? About like how is how is the diversity within our own this mega revolution, right, right, right. Demogra demographic revolution that's on the way, and the fact that that we are the future. But what are some of the things that are um, different from our maybe this group of people versus the baby boomers in that well, we're so diverse within? I think we always talk about um, the diversity within our unique cultures, right? And and we are. We have, you know, I'm I'm Cubana. I know you're Mexicana. We all have like our, our you know our cultural differences and our cultural stories, and and that's very important. And it's how we relate and and. Uh, um, you know, and certainly how we, the lens that we look at things through, but perhaps more importantly is when we, is the ways that we're the same. So what I mean is when you look at you know, our younger born Latinos that are largely U.S. born, and you would think that, well, they're largely U.S. born, they are going to maybe not be as connected to culture or, or possibly not be as tied to language, when in fact, that's not the case. And in fact, they're, you know, more, the, more bilingual than any generation ever before. And you look at older Latinos and you think, well, this group is largely foreign-born, so they're going to have some differences like in digital consumption, right, or or using, um, not using uh, digital the same way that our younger Latinos do, really for connecting with one another and more maybe just for research or for content consumption. Also not the case. Like, our older Latinos are as digitally connected, even though they're largely foreign-born, as our younger Latinos. And and really using like digital is such a great example as a device, not just to seek information and content, but to connect and to and to act activate digitally what are we are naturally predisposed our natural predisposed behaviors in real life. It, it's really really sort of fascinating. I mean, the the how many is fast is great. That's what Nielsen does, and we're good at it. You know, how many do this and and um, what people are doing. But what people don't always understand is that we do a lot of social and economic research, too. And that's the why, right? For me, that's the most interesting part of the story is not what we're doing, but why we're doing those things and then trying to understand how to build engagement off of those. 
Yeah, it's really fascinating as you're describing this. I think about the tias that I'm connecting with mm -hmm. that I don't think I spoke to as much at, 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 at you know las fiestas. I don't think we ever talked. But now on Facebook, they're the ones that comment the most on all my comments. Mm -hmm. We're yeah. engaging. We're, they, even though they're in their 50s or their 60s, they're definitely their digital presence is is evident. And and more than any other group, when you compare non-Hispanic white women uh, 50 plus to Latinas 50 plus, you would think that we would have similar behaviors. I mean, because, you know, there's there's also sort of a shared experience that is uh, is, is cross-cultural or transcultural, right? But, but in fact, we really, truly behave differently. And most of the reasons why are because they're, they're culturally rooted reasons. So we do connect digitally much more. It's not just a thing we say. We actually connect a lot more digitally. And we have a different expectation out of those digital dialogues than our non-Hispanic white counterparts because it's super important to who we are and because it's a, you know, a, like a construct of our, of our culture. It's a cultural pillar to connect and dialogue. That means we have an elevated expectation of dialogue that comes to us through digital channels in a way that others that are non-Latino don't. It's super cool. It is super cool. And I think you're kind of touching on some of the... Um the myths or misconceptions that are sort of dispelled by the data. Mm -hmm. What are some What are some other aha moments, or maybe aha, because we already talked about those, but what are some other uh, things that kind of dispel some Myth conceptions busters. that folks have? Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, there, there are a number within the report, but probably my favorite one is this voter profile section that we did, because I think people often, I know, people often say Latinos don't vote, and that's kind of the end of the sentence, right? Um, and I thought, well, we do, though. So let me try and understand, you know, why these numbers are lower, or what is it about the behaviors that are, you know, are drawing these conclusions? And what I ended up finding is that... Um, it, it really has more to do with registration than it has to do with, with voting. And what I mean is, so there are three numbers that we always look at. There is um, eligible voters, then there is registered, and then there's voted. And the number you always hear about is voter turnout, which is voters against eligible Okay. Okay. So that, but, but if you are, and so when you look at against eligible voters, how many have voted, the number is, it's pretty low. You know, it's definitely a, a low number. It's like 38% for Latinos compared to uh, total market or non-Hispanic whites. But if you look at registered, if you add registered in, we actually vote more favorably when compared to the total number of registered. So instead of looking at voted to total eligible, and I hope I'm not getting in the weeds here, we looked at voted against registered. And we actually found that delta is about 9%, where for the total population, it's 16. So what that means is we do show up when we're registered. That's great. I think this is, I want to break that down even further. Let's go. Because that is fantastic. This means that when organizations have the resources to do voter registration mm -hmm. work, that's when they're going to get the the biggest payoff when it comes to the Latino voter. Well, sure. You better get them registered. And so um, this is fascinating to me because I, I am aware that there aren't that many resources for voter registration. And yet we're, I'm learning here that when we invest in voter registration mm -hmm. work, then we can get Latinos to vote. And, and the potential of that, considering how many of them are young and, and that we're the future, wow, that just really underscores how much, if, if you are listening, how much we should invest in 
voter registration work. Yeah. Get your tias, your abuelita, everybody registered. Because the truth is, votership moves with registration. Those numbers move in lockstep. So as we become more registered, we get more voting. You know, that just makes sense. And so that's the biggest hurdle we have. And in some states like California, it's easy to register. It's almost too easy. And so, you know, but in some states, it's... Well, it can never be too easy. I'm sorry. Register, <laughs> register. Easy. It's definitely easy. Um, but in some states, there are hurdles in place that make it difficult for our community, specifically either by design or by accident, that make it difficult. That pe- you know, our community needs to go somewhere, bring paperwork with us. Now, I mentioned we're largely younger, which means we're more in childbearing years. We're at the earlier parts of our educational journey. I mentioned our median age is 28. That educational journey looks different. And so, at 28, we might just really kind of be, you know, cresting our career. We're, we're at the beginning of those major acquisition years, we may not be able to take two hours off in the middle of the business day, or we may have young children at home. And it's difficult to get away and go where we need to go to get registered and bring what we need to. And so there are many organizations, as you mentioned, that are putting programs in place to bridge that gap so that, you know, to take care of whatever that is, whether it's a transportation issue or a childcare issue, so that Latinos can go and get registered. Because we know that when we're registered, we show up and vote. The difference, as I said, was about 9%. That's a, that's a tremendous number, right? So that means that when that and those numbers will move in lockstep. The more registered we are, the more we will vote. So that was one of my other fun ahas, because I get tired of hearing, whenever we talk later about Asura, I'm going to say that we don't vote. We do vote, but we, we need to be registered, and that's the biggest hurdle we face. Yeah, that's great. And I and you were kind of touching upon this, that you know, the Latinos at 28, they're maybe mm-hmm. just finishing school in some cases. So can we go back to the, the, the school journey, sure. the education attainment journey for, for Latinos? What does the data tell us about that? Well, the data tells us, first of all, I looked at 2016 data from... Um, Bureau of Labor Statistics and from um, and census data. And we understand that of graduating seniors in 2016, 70% of the total, of total, everyone, um, went on to uh, enroll in college, some form of college. But when you break out Latinos, the number is actually 72%. So we we exceed the average for going on to college right right upon graduation. We did in 2016, which is incredible. But one thing we don't always talk about is what that educational journey looks like, right? Uh, Our community is very young, largely... you know, a significant portion immigrant born, a lot of us first generation. And so we don't have oftentimes those networks in place that can help us um, through that journey, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but like my dad didn't have, you know, like some buddies from his, you know, venture capital firm or whatever. There's anything wrong with that. Those are great connections. And I, I wish we did, but we didn't have those. And so we had to build all of those internships and those, you know, the, like the relationship with career and business kind of on our own. And um, so because of that, the journey looks different. It's oftentimes a two-year journey. You know, college isn't always a four-year journey. Sometimes it's a six, it's an eight-year journey. And we have the hope and the aspiration, and you can see that in the numbers with 72% saying that they enrolling immediately you know, and, um, to college for our, for all our, our whole Latinx community. And for Latinas, the number is even higher. It's 74% exceeding the national average for women. So, you know, we definitely have the hope and the desire where we need to close the gap are the resources and opportunities throughout that journey so that that's not such a tedious journey. And it's a journey filled with hope and uplifting us along the way. Well, speaking of hope, what, what is making you hopeful from what you've just been able to extract from this report? What makes you hopeful about the future? Well, I think there's a, there's a couple of things. Um, 
perhaps uh, what I really like, and maybe this is my a personal hopeful, and then I'll talk about sort of a Nielsen data hopeful, but um, what I really like is that I'm seeing that as the years go on, I've been tracking data around um, uh, you know, cultural intentions and for, for a few years, for at least 10 years, actually. But I'm seeing these numbers increase, meaning as Latinos are increasingly U.S. born and are having a U.S. experience, that we're wanting more than ever to connect, not only wanting more than ever to connect with our culture, but saying we feel more deeply connected with our culture than we did just years before, right? Saying that we feel more deeply connected to our culture than our parents do. And so there's this really resurgence in, in Latinos in the U.S. Um, or the Latinx community largely wrapping our arms around our culture and insisting that it's a part of who we are. And that's for a few reasons. And one of the really fun reasons is that we have frictionless access to content, right? So you and I right now could on our phone say, bueno, I, you know, um, okay, Google, play Maluma. Right, and we yeah. could just, or, what, or, or Farouk, or whatever we want. And we can connect to culture through music. We can connect to culture through food. We can connect through all the amazing content that is so easy to get online through, through, we're connecting to culture here through this podcast. It doesn't necessarily need to be in language, but we're able to connect with culture. And so because of that, uh, we're actually seeing that that our culture, as our U.S. experience, which is you know largely a an experience together, the U.S. Hispanic experience, is getting stronger, and uh, so that's really hopeful. And what that means to me is that brands and marketers need to really. Uh, take a look at, and, and policymakers and advocacy groups, sort of what makes us tick really and, and be very authentic about that dialogue with us. That's, that is amazing. The other is, um, you know, we, we, incre- we can continue to start businesses at a faster rate than any other group. There's some challenges within that. We kind of talked about it briefly earlier. Um, but, you know, there is hope and there is aspiration within our community in a way that I don't see in other communities. Um, and that's not to say they don't have it as well, uh, but I, I, it, it reflected in the numbers. And so it's, it's a wonderful time to be Latinx in L.A., to be Latinx in the United States, you know, and really globally. I mean, it's a, there are challenges, no doubt. And I think we would be, you know, we wouldn't be being honest if we didn't say there is some tough, um, n- tough national discourse. But as a community, we've come together and we've overcome, you know, we are we are working together to to overcome those challenges, supporting one another. Uh, organizations and companies are doing it. We see Nielsen just recently uh, filed um, an amicus brief for uh, in support of DACA and, and Dreamers. Excellent. We did one in support of the citizen question not being asked on census. So you have companies stepping forward to join us in this journey. So that makes me hopeful, and I feel that that's largely because of the you know the research that. Not, not only Nielsen, but that companies are putting forward and understanding really who we are. Yeah, that's great. And I think I've heard before that generally Latinos are always very optimistic and mm-hmm. very hopeful. We are. So it's really, it sounds like you gotta you're be. picking that up, right? <laughs> you got to be. It's, it's a part of being resilient mm-hmm. is, is you have to be hopeful. Otherwise, you know, what the heck? <laughs> the, the, all the challenges that we do have, it's absolutely essential to be hopeful. Mm-hmm. And and that is, and I love what you're describing about how it's in the palm of our hands because of the digital world to be connected to our culture. I just recently, for example, I decided that I want to do an for Dia de los Muertos, which I've never hosted, had one in my own ho- home, but I was able to go online and understand the dip, like what does it right. mean to have three steps versus seven steps, where I don't think it, you know, But you, your parents ago, didn't have the opportunity to, right. it just wasn't, or well, they, they may have lived it, but like 
people just didn't have the opportunity a few years ago. You're right. I, I'm starting to learn so much more about Cuban culture. And, uh, and I, I was talking to my dad about sort of the state of things the other day. And, you know, I realized, you know, we, we know more than even other than, you know, what's available on the news. We know more than, than people 10 years ago were able to know about what's happening in the country, what's happening with, with culture there, how the culinary journey is changing in that country because of, you know, of the embargo and, 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 and frankly, some of the good things, how self-sustainable the country is because they've had to be as a result of, you know, um, of just needing to be. But we are able to because of digital technology and because our community is younger, we lean way into that. The other hopeful thing I'll mention is um, uh, household income. You know, it is still overall household income is lower than you see for non-Hispanic white. But with the median age of 28 compared to a median age of 44, that's to be expected, right? That's true. I mean, that's true. I never thought of it that way. That's, it, but that's a perfect call out. It is to be expected. And I think um, understanding uh, what is ahead for our community tells me that that gap is going to close so quickly. I really probably within the next 15 years, it's only a $10,000 difference as it is now. And it makes perfect sense that it is that it's, you know, 28 is not 44. That's the beginning of your major acquisition years. It's the beginning of your, your career, your home purchasing. Now the journey's different. The life cycle expenditure journey is different. So it's, you know, it's possible children are already in the, you know, children come oftentimes before uh, education. And then that comes before home purchase. There's a little bit of a different, you know, trajectory, but those, those same things occur, right? And so it's really interesting to take a look at how uh, one other really fascinating thing I'll add. I'm going to have to cut this whole podcast No, up. it's totally fine. We, <laughs> wa- we want lots of hopeful points, so yes. Well, so one other really interesting thing is because we, we tend to have children earlier also as well, that Latinos enter their retirement and they enter their, um, you know, this, um, like the 50s plus, largely um, with all this renewal of disposable income. Right, be in a way that their non-Hispanic counterparts don't, who have children in college at that point. And I think my parents are a perfect example. And I, you know, I don't know about yours, but uh, you, you have my my parents that are, you know, in their sixties, and they have I mean, their children are in their forties. <laughs> for I'm aging myself, but you know, they have they have disposable income. Yeah, they they're have, very young. It, it's That's a whole, young. and so it's like this trifecta that only the Latino community has of youth, uh, health. And money, and you know what? We At have, the same we have time, some good genes. Some of us have very I mean, little wrinkles. I mean, <laughs> bueno, well, but but you know these these three things you don't really get in any other youth, health, and money, right? You have your your youth, but you don't have any money, and then or you have your your health, and you have you know, or you have you have money, but you don't have youth to do the things that you want. So it's like it's really unique that the Latino community has these three things at the same time, um, which means it's a whole new. If you were a brand marketer. It's a whole demographic there that's really not being um, not being engaged with properly. Yeah, that's so. fascinating. No, that, that's all really really hopeful things, and I and I think um, we need that. So thank you for sharing yeah, all these no. those, all these data backed hopeful points that we can all get excited about. Um, something else that jumped out at me uh, from the report is the value that Latinx consumers place on social responsibility. This totally rings true to me, especially you know here on Tamarindo. It has always been part of our um, mission that everything we do kind of have this this like this mission right this mission driven mm-hmm. podcast we want to talk about how we can all be empowered to be better advocates for our community and i think that's what calls a lot of listeners in so can you tell us a little bit more about that data point about how latinos 
value social responsibility? Yeah, so this is something new. We've been looking at it uh, a number of years, and we kind of saw it start to move maybe about four, three or four years ago. Uh, in the last two years, we've really seen it move. But basically, it centers around uh, Latinos wanting uh, to align their dollars with brands that align themselves with the Latinx journey, right, that understand our very unique um our very unique journey here in the U.S. that is sometimes, you know, it's built on, on grit and hard work and experience and and sometimes, you know, amazing uh, benefits. But it is a very unique journey that belongs to our community. And we want to align ourselves and our dollars increasingly with brands that understand that. So we've seen um, things like, you know, 58 percent of Latinos tell us that uh, they purchase brands. They prefer to purchase brands that support a cause that they care about. And and 58%, you think, well, that's only a little over half. But when you look at the index, right, they're 10% more likely to feel that way. Uh, and that, by the way, is 10% against total, which means we're in that number bringing it down. <laughs> I mean, we're, you know, we're populating that 10%. So if we extracted Latinos, it would be even higher. You have another 45% of Latinos that say, I expect the brands that I buy to support social causes, which is a little bit of a different number. That one, 22% more likely to feel that way than their same-aged counterparts. Uh, those numbers were never indexing that high. And even things like environmentally safe products and um, the use of herbicides and pesticides, uh, Latinos, more than their non-Hispanic counterparts, are saying those are really important things. You have nearly 60% saying that I'll pay more for something that's environmentally safe. It's important to me. And, you know, when you think about aha moments or wow moments, uh, these allow us to kind of combat some of those myths like, well, Latinos are just price sensitive, right? The Latinx community is price sensitive and only want to use coupons and only want to buy things that are are inexpensive. And that's actually not true. We actually want to align ourselves where it matters increasingly. And um, so those data points are always great because it also helps me dialogue with, you know, brands and, and, uh, and other partners about how they really need to think about what they're bringing forward. These things matter. This nuance matters. That's, a, that's great. I, and I think that definitely is true for both Anna Shayla and I, that we, we want to put our dollars in, in work and products that we think have a double bottom line, right? Mm -hmm. That they're doing, they're trying to make money, but they also have a, a, a vision about how they want to be impactful with the work that they lead. So that's great. I, I really love that. I think that's also another, another hopeful point, lots of hope in this. Um, and then I, I also want to talk a little bit about, you know, 2020 is right around the corner. The census is coming up. So what are some of the the things that listeners should know about the census and, and why, why, and of course the, the census is where we get so a lot of this data. Yeah. So tell us why is this, like, why is the census important and what should we know about this particular census? Well, I think what, well, you know, people, everyone knows or, or hope, and if you don't, that's okay. We're going to tell you um, that census is obviously very important for the apportionment of dollars, right? How many, um, you know, what your, what your schools get and your roads and your library and your neighborhood. But I think people don't often know is that census is really the underlying data for, you know, every business decision is made in some part on census, right? Whether or not a market goes into your neighborhood, whether or not a product that you love is carried on a shelf, or whether or not it's something is, is you know, simple as whether or not a concert comes to your town or a show um, is on television. Census, it's, you know, really that data, it under it underpins fundamentally every business decision that's made in the U.S. And so we have an obligation to be represented, right? We're not just doing it and we should do it just for the community implications, but beyond that, we should also do it for what it means for us, us being represented 
in America in business as well, right? Um, you know, there. The, the challenge is with the citizenship question, even though that question is now not going to be asked, the damage is done. You know, people have a fear. And this is not just among the Latinx community. In general, people, um, you know, privacy is increasingly important to all communities, right? all communities of color and all communities. And so, um, you know, how the administration may use this data or what are the possibilities of um, when you submit your data tends to be a big question people have. There are legal protections around the data that you provide for census. And so we want people to know not to be afraid, that they need to represent, represent their community, and also that every person in their home counts. Baby, I mean, our, our families tend to be larger. 27% of us live in multi-generational households. Big families from your abuelita all the way down, you know, to the little ones. So we, everybody needs to be counted um, because the more we represent it, you know, the more we can ensure that our community gets the resources that we need, that our children get the resources they need in school, that business decisions that are made that impact our families are made based on truth, you know, truth in data. And so Nielsen is really standing forward um, uh, you know, very seriously on this issue. Our CEO wrote an amazing op-ed in the New York Times earlier in the year. And, uh, you know, we have a charge throughout the company, top to bottom, to educate where we can uh, our networks, professional and personal, on the importance of contributing and being part of uh, the census count. Excellent. Yeah. So the census, to, to kind of wrap that up, it's safe. It's important. We need everybody to be counted, and everybody counts. So make sure you get counted. Let everybody know. Right. I mean, next year is perhaps the most important year, uh, maybe not in our lives, but certainly the most important year uh, that we've had in a very long time with both census and the election. So we need to, to if there's two takeaways, right? right, register, get others registered, advocate for registration, and be counted and make, you know, make sure you're part of census, census and, and, uh, and registering to vote. Excellent. 100%. I feel that for sure. Is there anything that I um, didn't get a chance to ask you that you want to make sure our listeners know about this report? I'm sure there's so much. <laughs> uh, the report is just, well, I mean, you know, within the report, we also talk a little bit about um, uh, Latino entrepreneurship, uh, which is just, it, 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 it continues to be one of the most surprising pieces of, you know, pieces of data that I look at each year. Um, I did a report a few years ago called uh, Latina 2.0, and in that report, the number we cited was like an 87% growth rate. And if anyone has seen John Leguizamo's um, Latin History for Morons, he says this statistic in there, and I'm like, ah, that's my statistic. Uh, that's ours, but I, we love it, right? It's not, it's not our statistics. It, it, we all own it. But um, I just looked at that data again for something I did just a few weeks ago, and I, I want our listen, your listeners to know just how powerful we are. That number is now 172%. That's the growth rate from 2007 wow. to 2018. Um, approximately 2.1 million Hispanic female majority-owned firms. Remarkable. I mean, the, the, you know, that's the growth rate from 2007, as I said, to 2018. The year-over-year -year growth rate is 7%. And you know, Latina majority-owned firms make up 17% of all women-owned firm. we, firms. We are just stepping forward and stepping out in such a strong way. Overall, uh, 2.8 million in jobs. We're creating jobs for this country. And I'm so glad to have the opportunity on behalf of Nielsen to, to help change the narrative. You know, $500 billion um, in sales our, our businesses are bringing. And so I think the more we talk about, you know, what we do and we empower your listeners and we empower each other with this data, 
it, you know, it, it sort of removes some of the stigma. It helps us feel like we, you know, we need to be more front and center. We need to be counted. We need to register. We need to do the things that help elevate our visibility. That's what I have for you there. You know, I encourage your, the report is free. So your listeners should download it if they want to learn more. Um, they are all can be found. Just Google Nielsen Latinx, and you can actually find all of our reports. We ask you for a little information when you um, when you download it, so that we can connect with you. And we have some new hot reports, but otherwise, we complete privacy with your information. We're not going to do anything with it. We want you to have the resource. Excellent. We'll make sure that we put links to all that in the show Great. notes for Thank this you. episode, so you all can access those links right away. The, the takeaways, actually, as you were describing the entrepreneurs, all I kept thinking, Latin entrepreneurs, all I kept thinking is like the flexing emoji. Oh, and so really, I use that one all the time. Oh, I love it. So we should all be flexing, ladies and gentlemen, whoever listens to this podcast, mm-hmm. we should all be flexing for the Latina entrepreneurs. Well, um, it's come to the time of our podcast okay. where we um, like to wrap up by asking you first, what do you think goes in La Basura? This could be a person, place, thing, something <sighs> that you are just ready to throw away and, and, and put away behind you. What is it? I have to circle back. To, I'm trying to think of something different and exciting, but I have to circle back to the report. The fact that Latinos don't vote. I'm so sick of hearing that. When we are registered, we do vote. Our show up, our turn up rate is better when compared to registration. So stop saying that. Yeah, Latinos do vote. We vote and we're good at it. And I, I just, you know, we need to register. Yes. But when we're registered, we vote at a greater percent than our non-Hispanic counterparts. So take that world. All right. So in La Basura, the, in la basura, the concept in la basura. that we don't vote. All right. So, also, and then what gets a shout out? What's your, what goes your, get some matraca and I'm going right. to play a roll out do over it. here. But after you come up okay. with it. Um, <laughs> gosh, I think, all right. So what gets my, the shout out, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, just keep diving into the report, but I would say Latino entrepreneurs. Yes. I, mean, I 100% agree. Isn't that loud? <laughs> Latino entrepreneurs. I 100% entrepreneurs. agree after hearing that report. So I, I concur. And even our digital entrepreneurs, like, like you and like, you know, the wonderful women that I follow on Instagram who are just, you know, Me Too gets another one. I mean, just like bringing me such relevant content. Like, if you haven't seen uh, My Doble Quince, you have to see that, too. Like, <laughs> it, like these women that are just creating content and bringing, just bringing our story forward. So, from entrepreneurs all the way, Latinas in general. That, yeah, that's where I see Yeah, and the authenticity of all that. Mm-hmm. Well, this was a lot of fun. I, I'm, I'm especially excited and elated that have, there was a lot of things to be hopeful for. And with data, right, this is, we're not making this up. This no. is backed up with data the evidence shows we are hopeful we're the future weak vote and we're <laughs> and, the demographic revolution and we the are the demographic revolution well thank you so much Stacey I had so much fun with you you're always welcome back on Damarindo oh, thank you so thank you and, Gracias. and, and um, where can people find you actually where do people keep up with you um, so the best place on in Instagram is where I'm and I, I'm, I socialize a lot of Nielsen data there if I have new exciting things that don't always make it to the report but people want to hear about I have some beauty trends and some fun things that are really relevant I think for our community uh, Instagram at Stacy de Armas and that's Stacy with an IE I don't know why but it's Stacy with an IE Stacy de Armas uh, same thing on LinkedIn I also share some content there every once in a while on Twitter but definitely Instagram's the place to get the new uh, stats and um, and info and research on our community. Uh, Nielsen also, at Life at Nielsen is our Instagram handle there. And um, we're happy to share whatever content we have. Please follow us. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Tamarindo Podcast is independently produced by Brenda Gonzalez and Ana Sheila Victorino with sound engineering by Jeff DeVoe. 
If you were a fan of the show, we hope you will rate and review Tamarindo on Apple Podcasts or share Tamarindo Podcast with a friend. We'd love to hear from you. Follow us on the gram at Tamarindo Podcast or on Twitter at Tamarindo Cast and find us at tamarindopodcast.com. Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa. Eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI FPEI 220099. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.